the things that we believe God has placed uh, in our DNA, um, the, the sort of things that we hold to be important. And, um, and as, as well as that, there's that sense of the things that we would wish to be. And um, so what we did was over a, a number, a period of time, I wonder if you can push me forward, Paul, I think you're going to need to do that for me. Um, we came up with this sentence, which is not a snappy sentence, but it kind of was a way of trying to articulate who we are together. We're a growing community of whole life disciples who are alert to God's leading, paying careful attention to one another and the moment we're in so we can be good news to those around us. We're a growing community of whole life disciples who are alert to God's leading, paying careful attention to one another and the moment we're in so we can be good news to those around us. And what we've been doing is just trying to unpack and uh, actually taking a couple of weeks on each of the sort of the, the, the items in that sort of sentence. So we spent a couple of weeks looking at what it means to be a growing community and the, the brilliance of that and also the challenge of that. And um, last week we began looking at the, the idea of what it means to be a whole life disciple. And I want to explore that again um, this week. Um, and, and so we'll go forward then about what does it mean to be alert to God's leading next week and the week after how do we pay careful attention to one another? How do we know the moment we're in so that we can be good news to those around us? And um, when we use the language of whole life discipleship, um, what we mean is there's no stage of your life, there's no area of your life where God doesn't actually want to be involved in, that actually it's not just about sort of ticking the box as you would if you were going in for a hospital perhaps and they say, what's your religion? And you just tick the box, Christian. That's kind of like an, an, a sort of like assigning some, yeah, that we belong to that group. But actually being a whole life disciple says, there's something about the way I live my life. There's something about being, having surrendered to Jesus. There's something that's got a primary, a primary stake in my life. That actually my identity, first and foremost, is a disciple of Jesus. And I'm trying to work it out in the context I'm in, and I'm trying to work it out in the stage of life I'm in, but that's my primary identity. My primary identity is that once upon a time, however long ago or near it is, there was a moment where you surrendered to Jesus. There's a moment when suddenly the Lordship of Jesus became so apparent, it made so much compelling sense that you said, yes, I want to be yours, and I want to live for you. And at that moment, something fundamental, lots of fundamental things happens. But one of the fundamental things that happens is you take on a new identity. And that identity supersedes your family identity. And it certainly supersedes your history identity. The identity is, you're mine, says the Lord. And we live the rest of our lives working out, how do we live that through? And we do it in the midst of very ordinary life. It does not mean, as you know, any of you that have been walking this path for any time, it does not mean that everything goes smoothly at all. You live the ordinary life, the real life, the normal life, but you live it knowing that actually your primary identity is being formed by the Lordship of Jesus. And the truth is, we need to keep coming back to that. There's moments where we drift away and we do our own thing for a bit and then we're reminded, actually, no, it's him and we're living for him. It doesn't make us perfect and it doesn't get everything right, but it actually identifies who we are. And from the youngest to the oldest, that's what we're called to be. And as a church, that's what we're really interested in. 
Some of you, um, some of you might have uh, been part of other churches in the past. And um, you'll know how conversations go. We've got some visitors on the front row, and I'm going to pick on you. I'm sorry, but you're on the front row, and you're better looking than Ian. <laughs> Can I just ask your name? Katrina. Katrina. Okay, Katrina. I'm not going to ask you to do anything but, except answer me. All right. Katrina comes to church, and Katrina is young and um, vibrant. And um, when you're in a church outside, you know when new people come, and you go, isn't it great that Katrina's come? Now, as a leader in a church, there's two questions you ask when people like Katrina come. The first thing is, has someone just brought you as a guest visitor today? And the answer is, hmm. Did, just for today. Is it just for today? Yeah, okay. But on other days, it could be that Katrina goes, no, actually, we're looking for a church now. I'm going, oh, that's great. My second prayer is, oh, Lord, don't let us muck it up. And some of you that have been part of churches in the past will know how some of this conversation could go. You sit with Katrina and she looks young. And you go, and you are young. And um, <laughs> just, just, thank you. <laughs> it's my gaffometer sitting at the front here. <laughs> and um, after a few weeks, I might say to Katrina, Katrina, we've been, it's been so good to have you with us here. And we're glad you are fitting in because it's been great. And we were just wondering, are you free on a Tuesday evening <laughs> between 6 o'clock and 7.45? And the answer would be, no. And we would say, Katrina, do you play a saxophone? Because we think we're one saxophonist away from revival. Do you, do you play a saxophone? Unfortunately not. That's a shame. And we might then say, Katrina, you've got a nice smile. We'll go on the welcome team. Actually, before that would happen, Maggie would get you on the hospitality team, but that's a different story. And um, there's something right about that. There's something good about that, because actually what we're saying to one another is, we want you to feel part of this. But the danger with that question, and the fundamental danger is this. What I've done with Katrina as a church leader is, I've said to Katrina, the, really, the, the real reason we're pleased you're with us is because we've got a machine that needs feeding. And we've got another resource to feed the machine. Katrina comes and stays with us, then what you'd want to have a conversation with Katrina about is this. Katrina, and you don't need to answer this. Katrina, we were just wondering, where is God already using you? And how can we support you in that? Now, Katrina may or may not know the answer to that. But actually, what she would know is she would join a church that actually values something other than just keeping the show on the road. Now, to be honest, there are times when we just need people to wash up. It's not a calling. It's not a gifting. Right? <laughs> it's just housekeeping. But you don't join a church in order to get on the road to, to wash up. You just do it because you're part of family. 
Being part of church is not, can I have a job so I can be leading worship once a month on a Sunday or preach once every now and again or whatever or lead a small group? No, 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 no. Being part of a community like this is to actually answer the question, what vision do you have for your own life and how does belonging to this group of people enable you to live that out where you are? Because our primary thing is not collecting churchgoers. Our primary thing is actually creating whole life disciples who know how to live that in the midst of business, in the midst of family, in the midst of voluntary groups, in the midst of your family, in, in your wider family. Wherever you might find yourself, that's what we think is important. We don't always do it great, but that's what we're committed to. And sometimes if you find that we slip into the old culture, The culture of keeping the show on the road, please remind us, because we don't want to be that. What we want to do is recognize that actually you've got a much wider life. Paul, can you put the next slide on for me? And it'll come through now. You just keep on flicking. Because that slide is less than useful. (laughs) (laughs) These dots we used last week, these red dots, they represent roughly, very roughly, the percentage of people who go to church once a month or more in the UK, about 6%. Very difficult to know exactly, but around that. And of course, when you look at that, and uh, you've got your uh, card there that have got the same dots, when you look at that, it looks like, well, actually, there's so much to do, and how can we make a difference? But when you realize where you've been, where you're scattered, where we are scattered, we are not a large church. But actually, if you start to pinpoint where we are Monday through Saturday, when you pinpoint the relationships that we have, when you pinpoint all the influence that we have, when we're not together, we can make such a difference. And as I said last week, if you were with us, actually then it needs to, it needs to sort of become this virtuous circle. What we do together has to influence and, and, and directly equip us for when we're apart. And when we're apart, we need to come back with the stories of how God has been using us. The primary thing we want for you is to have a vision for your own life. Don't live vicariously through a church or through someone else's life. What has God called you to? For that to happen, two things need to be true. The first one is that you need to own the place you're in. And last week we talked about that. And if you weren't with us last week, then... If you get the chance, go back on our website and listen to that sermon because these two kind of fit together. You need to own the place where you are, particularly when it's not where you want to be. And secondly, you need to stay red. For when you scatter, if you turn out grey, then everything is for nothing. There's something about being Christ's that is actually about being distinctive. It's about being the real deal. It's about being different. It's about being red in a sea of grey. It's been a disappointing weekend for me and Maggie. Um, we, uh, I'm not going to bore you with this. You won't, you won't have to hear this roller coaster um, because it will be, I suspect. But um, as you know, um, we put our house up for sale. And as some of you know, we sold it within three... Well, we had an offer on three days. We'd not sold it, but three days we had an offer on it, which is really good news, isn't it? And then you start looking for somewhere else to live. And the big lesson we've learned this weekend is estate agents take really good photos. <laughs> they are really good photographers. We had a number of houses to see yesterday, and we walked in, and literally we said to one another, Is this the same house? 
Because the photographs look, they look great. There were 22 great photos. And then you wander around going, it can't be this place. Really, no. And it's kind of like, I know it's a bit cheesy, but it is that idea of when you get close up, is it the same thing? Am I the same thing when you get close up? Or have I greyed out? Being red and distinctive is not just telling people about Jesus, though it may well involve that. But it's actually, when you get close up to someone, do they still look and sound and feel the same as the badge that we wear, a disciple of Jesus following him? Last week we interviewed uh, Anne, and she talked about fostering this idea of and how God led her to that place. And this week I want to talk with Andrew about being a red dot in a sea of grey. So, Andrew, come to the front. Now, last week, Anne sat on the chair, and that seemed to work well for her, but she had a baby in her arms. Would you prefer to stand? Yeah, no, yeah, alternative if you find a baby. But are you, are you, are you okay to stand? Yeah. Okay. Andrew, um, you, your CV is, <laughs> to, to say the least, is quite interesting. Um, and um, I wonder if you want to tell people what you do at the moment. Um. A number of things. So my primary job is I work for Salford City Football Club um, in the process of setting up the charity Foundation 92, which is kind of the community outreach program of the football club. My job also encompasses a lot of other roles, such as booking inflatables, um, roping Alex into Marshall inflatables, play music, do designs and stuff like that. So a lot of things really around the football club. This, this football club is on the rise, yeah. Well, until yesterday when we dropped to second place, but you know, you can't have everything, can you? Tell people about your job. Um, this, it's funny, this, we had a conversation about yesterday and Alex gets really annoyed because she thinks that it's a lack of self-discipline. But I've never, I've, 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 I've never really applied for a job. Um, <laughs> um, so I went to university and did broadcasting um, and I saw a sign and it said, are you interested in making TV programs? And I was doing some filming at the time. So I was like, all oh, right, I'll go to this and see if I can become a cameraman. And I'd gone on the wrong job interview and it was an audition to be a TV presenter. So I thought, oh, I'm here now, I may as well do it, and I? Um, <laughs> so, 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 so I did. Um, and I got a phone call saying, oh, yeah, we thought you were brilliant. Um, you've got a TV series on Channel 4. So I did that for a bit. Um, <laughs> Um, then, uh, after that, I was like, all oh, right, I've not got a job. Um, so I got in touch with um, XFM, the radio station, and said, oh, I've done some TV work. Any chance I could come and do some work experience? So I did that, and I stayed there for a few years. Um, and then I did apply. Oh, no, I didn't actually apply for it. I just got chatting to a woman in a shop and told her I could do her job. And she said, well, go on then. Um, so I did that for a few months, but I, but I couldn't. Uh, <laughs> so, so I left that. Um, and then went back to working for Key 103 uh, in the radio. Um, and then I really needed it to kind of grow up a bit. So I did apply for a job and got it at school. Um, but then I just got frustrated there. And then a job came up at Salford because I've been volunteering there for years. And so they said, oh, do you want to do this full time? So I was like, yeah, good. So one job interview, I think. That's not bad, is it? It's been tricky. It's, it's, been very, it's been very hard, if I'm being honest. I mean, there's always that, like, kind of, especially when you're younger, what that preconception of church is and that kind of stereotypical view of it. 
and um, yeah, people always think that you're self-righteous and stuff, but I mean, luckily the vegans have come across and taken some slack, haven't they, off, <laughs> off, off the Christians for a bit, so it's a, they, I think that, I think it's a bit easier now, uh, just, I, it could be worse, it could be a vegan, um, but, uh, so, um, yeah, it was, it was really tricky, the preconceived things about it, and then there was also that kind of self-confidence in yourself about, you know, how you fit in. When I worked for the TV programme, it, it didn't go very well in that I'd got in it completely by accident. And um, the premise of the TV programme was a programme called Whatever. Um, and it was basically you could do whatever you wanted to do. And they got you to do it. So we'd done some filming in ages and come up with loads of ideas. And then I think it was a few months before the programme was supposed to go air and it was filmed live. So there's pre-packages and then it went live. And um, Channel 4 got a squeaky bum time and thought that what we'd said to show for the young people of our generation wasn't what the hierarchy thought was what they wanted, so they wanted shock factor. So they kind of changed all the ideas and made us go into the studio and say, oh, we really want to you know, do this bit. And it was really conflicting of what my faith was, and I felt really pressured into what I was doing. Um, some of it I went along with, some of it I didn't. And I remember, I mentioned this to you, didn't I, Neil? Um, it was, there's a Bible in this hotel room that I was staying in, and I know the way to read the Bible isn't just flick through it. One night I was just in bed, and I was just like, yeah. so I was reading it, flipped, put my finger on a Bible passage, and I can't remember the exact passage, but it said something along, don't follow them on their path because it leads to sin or some destruction, something along those lines. And I thought to myself, oh man, right, okay, um, this isn't good. Um, this might be a sign, but also I can be a TV presenter. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> so I closed the Bible and just cracked on with it and thought nothing of it. But then, after I'd done that and kind of turned away, I noticed that more and more things were going wrong and I was finding myself alone and in a situation that I didn't want to be in. Um, I had arguments with the producers and said that I didn't want to do certain aspects. I said that I don't agree with it. Um, some of it I had to do because I was contractually obliged. I said that I wouldn't do the second series um, and they were going to take legal action against me for not doing the second series. Um, my vicar at our church was said she'd seen the program and thought, why on earth are you working with our young people if this is what you perceive, you know, showing yourself as? Um, and luckily the program was so bad the second series didn't get commissioned, so I kind of dodged a bullet there. But it was a really testing time. But you, but you had decided you weren't going to do it. Yeah, I told them that I wasn't going to do it, and they, they were either going to take legal action. Basically, in my contract, it was if I didn't do the second series, I had to pay for their recruitment of somebody else because they'd invested in me. So that's. What yeah. In all of these contexts, what has kept you red? Um, I don't know. There's an underlying faith that it's right. <laughs> I've just got a, a firm faith. I found myself in a number of situations, and I mean, you, you mentioned you're going to interview with, you know, today about stuff, and I love self-analysis. It's really one of my strengths. Um, <laughs> so, so I've been trying to think about it, and I think there is some somehow, and I'm grateful for it a faith there that's rock solid. So I have found myself in mad situations and stuff like that. But um, it always comes back to that. I think it's really helped being supported by this church. I think that I've, I've been honest about in the past that I drifted for a, a significant number of years. And I think that's when that red light starts flickering grey and you've got a turning point. And at some point, you're going to have to wake up and say, do I flick this light back on or do I just walk away? And I think that potentially, if I hadn't have walked through the doors, I did a few years ago, then I think that I probably would be grey right now. Um, so the support of the church and the people here has been fantastic. Um, so, yes, yeah, interesting. I just think that what we need to do, um, and I try to do everywhere I go, um, is that 
You know that term, right? I'm not going to say it because it's very rude. But there's an analogy about a sandwich, um, a praise sandwich, we'll call it, where you kind of layer it and stuff like that. And I think as Christians, we kind of need to reverse it a bit and have a love sandwich, right? And you've got to go into everything, but with that love, and as you're saying about living the Christian life, it's love everyone unconditionally. And then you get that opportunity to, to explain why you're that light. And I think that sometimes we get a bit carried away and we jump in straight as light and we blind people and I think that scares people. So you love unconditionally and then the conversations start. Then you have your conversation with someone and they might disagree with you, might chase you out of town, whatever. But then you have to reverse back, put that layer of love back on and as long as you go through life with that, I think that's how to be positive in the workplace. Specifically, if you're struggling with it, you just got to crack on, haven't you? Andrew, we know you could um, tell story after story, but that's what, that's what coffee's for. <laughs> Thanks ever so much, Andrew. <clears throat> what does it mean to be red in a sea of grey? How do you live that? What if you put the next slide on for me, and then we're going to read together. This is what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, and some of you will have seen this before. A disciple is someone learning to live the way of Jesus in their context at this moment. That's what you're called to do. A disciple is someone learning to live the way of Jesus. How do I learn this? What is this way? What does Jesus require of me in this context? And your context keeps changing, your moment keeps changing, but a disciple is someone who is learning to live the way of Jesus in this moment. If you've got a Bible, can you turn with me just very briefly? I'm not going to, as last week, I'm not spending a lot of time in the passage, but I just want to talk about the passage in Acts 11 and the church in Antioch, verse 19 onwards. I'm not going to spend a whole stack of time in it, but just to touch point, uh, touch uh, base with it. Verse 19 of Acts chapter 11. Last week we spoke about Stephen and Philip, and particularly Philip, who had been scattered by persecution. And this is still kind of in the same field, really. Um, it begins like this. Now, those who'd been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. And Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the believers living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. There's a first there that's uh, really quite interesting. The disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. 
Antioch was a mixed place. It wasn't all Jewish. There were a lot of Gentile people there. And these people who've been scattered because of persecution, they just were so in love with Jesus, really, that they just shared that wherever they went. People back in Jerusalem were a little bit more concerned about that because they'd not yet worked out what happens when people who are not like us become Christians. But the people who went, they didn't seem to have that problem. And in Antioch, they formed a church because people came to know Jesus. And the church were sort of characterized by three things. And I wonder, Paul, if you can just uh, flick those on for me. They were a church. No. Can you go back? Is it there? Yeah. The first thing about the church is it was multi-ethnic. So there were people there from all different backgrounds. But somehow they found a way of being a community where your background didn't determine who you spent time with. And that, if you think about it, is a fundamental mark of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Your background doesn't determine who you're going to spend time with. So the Jewish people who scattered suddenly found out that actually for all the, their background, and they didn't, just, they didn't turn their back on their background or on their heritage, but they just knew that that wasn't the thing that defined them. It was multi-ethnic. It was multiracial. It included people from all different parts of the world. And as a church, it's what we want to be. And when we get to the bit where we talk about listening carefully to one another, it'll be in this sort of context. We are not the same. And we shouldn't be. We shouldn't have the same sort of backgrounds. We shouldn't have the same sort of interests. We shouldn't be the same sort of peoples. If you sit there sometime in church going, I don't think there's anybody else like me, please don't leave. Because if you're true, if that's right, we need you. We need you. If you think there's no one else like me, please don't leave, we need you. Otherwise, what will happen is you have a dwindling group of people who all are the same. But actually, they don't represent the richness of the kingdom of God. They were first called Christians in Antioch. They were multi-ethnic. Second thing, they were fiercely evangelistic. The way they lived, the message they carried. This, that thing I talked about earlier, about that primary identity being Jesus. It's kind of like it's so much part of you that it overspills. You are not selling a second-hand religion. What you're doing is the overflow of who you are. And these people had so... It's kind of like Andrew was just saying a moment ago. What's kept you red? Yeah, okay, there's moments where you flicker and you, you need to come back. But actually... He said something along this line. There's something about a deep faith that is so fundamental to who he is that actually that's what overflows. It's almost like you don't need to try hard to be evangelistic. Just to explain to people who you are and why you are as you are. You don't need to persuade people. You just share who you are. Allow that to be the case. Now for that to happen, of course, we need a rich life with God. If you've not got it, then it's going to be difficult for anything to overflow. But if you've got a rich life with God, then actually that overflows. And the third thing about this church was they were remarkably generous. Someone came and said, we know there's going to be a famine 
in Jerusalem. And so the church came together and they started to give to those people in Jerusalem. These were people who were scattered by persecution. They didn't choose to be there. They didn't want to be there necessarily. They would have stayed in Jerusalem had they had their own choice. But it's where God had placed them. And it's the place where they were first identified of, you look like Jesus. That's what it means to be a Christian. You look like Jesus. You certainly talk about him a lot. It's like you're a little Christ. That's what it means. You're a Christian. You're marked out. And sometimes, of course, that will be difficult. As Andrew said, sometimes it's hard to be marked out and be different. And there's some moments where you've got to take a stand. There's, there's moments in all of our lives, I'm sure this would be true of all of us, that we've all been Channel 4 presenters who have been uh, leading a series and they say we're not going to do the second series. That's an interesting story. I didn't know that story before we chatted last week. But there's a moment where your prior identity of Jesus takes precedence over your status in the world. And there's sometimes when you've got to say, actually, I'm going to make a stand here because I belong to Jesus. But most of the time, it's the overflow of because I'm Jesus's, this is how I act in situations like this. It's why Charlie and Paul will go and do work for people for no pay who are not directly related to us. And what they'll do is a number of things. But one of the things they'll do is they'll demonstrate this is what grace and mercy looks like. This is what love looks like in action. It's what you'll do tomorrow morning in work. It'll be the overflow of who you are. You look a little like Jesus. It's the sort of thing Jesus would do. You know, there was a, there was a thing, wasn't there, a sort of like a, a trend for wearing those bracelets. What would Jesus do? And um, I kind of, I, I never wore one, but I kind of knew what people were going on about. But it was like a better way of thinking about it. It was, what would Jesus do if Jesus was doing my job? Or if Jesus was doing your job? Or Jesus was involved in your? What sort of, now this is going to sound really weird, but what sort of great-grandmother would Jesus be? The best. Because when you start to think of it like that, it's, you see, when you see, well, what would Jesus do? Well, Jesus was first century, 33 years old probably when he died. He was a, a, a sort of a, a, a carpenter. He was a man. He was in Palestine. It's, it's like, well, I'm not, you know, and the answer is, what would Jesus do? He'd just click his fingers, presumably, and some things would just get better. But what, how would Jesus do your job? Or how would Jesus tackle your situation? How would Jesus care for the people in your life? They were first called Christians in Antioch. We want to be a church where actually because we belong to church, we help one another do that. There's a final thing that Andrew said. Had he not belonged to church, and I didn't ask him to say this, of course I didn't ask him to say this, but it's nice to hear it. If I hadn't belonged to church, he said, I think I'd have grayed out by now. What that means is, and I do mean this, you, you, literally you, 
have helped him stay red. The way you've acted towards Andrew has helped his faith to grow. It's not just about coming to some sort of religious service. It's actually about the relationships we have. Your life has enabled him to stay red in Salford FC. And there's not that many Christians in Salford FC working there. And so he becomes a scattered red dot, staying red in part at least because you have helped him do that. That's the sort of church we need to be. And in fact, that's the church we clearly are, at least for one person. That's why belonging to church is really important. That's why it's, we, we have church. It's not about church service, it's about church community. It's why we come together, because actually you can help one another. You can help those around you. You can do it in two ways at least. Now I'm going to finish then. Two ways at least. Firstly, you can do it to your peer group in church. The people who are facing the same sort of things that you face at the same sort of stage of life. Because you can say to one another, I know what this is like because I'm going through it myself. Let's walk this together. And there's something of actually saying, I know these challenges, I know these joys, and we can actually walk this together. And the second way you do it, all those younger people that went through. And all these younger people that are here now, those of you that are older, you still have a part to play in shaping the lives of the next generation. It's the way you have conversations. It's the things you ask about. It's the time you take. It's the way you shape one another. I find it really easy to get quite sort of sentimental about babies coming so if you're having a baby on Friday we fully expect you to be here on Sunday there'll be no reason whatsoever but when you bring your baby Rob and Nicole when you bring your new little one to church um, whenever that may be we will pray and then you know whether you have a, a dedication service later but we'll pray the first time your baby comes and I feel absolutely strongly about this because from the moment that baby comes they, he or she, becomes part of this community. And we have a responsibility. We have a responsibility to shape a generation. We all have a responsibility for one another. Because if we, as church together, we enable one another to stay red. We're called to be a growing community of whole life disciples a growing community of whole life disciples, not a growing church, but a growing community of whole life disciples. That's our calling. Yeah? What are you thinking? Pan? Okay. Just glad you belong to the church. What are you thinking? Yeah. Sometimes we flicker grey and we're not aware we are. And sometimes it's good to have people around us who can just sort of be almost like an early warning signal for that. What else are you thinking?
That's a good, yeah. So a, thermos, a thermometer which just sort of gauges what's happening in wider culture or a thermostat that actually says, we, you know, we can set what, what wider community can be like. We're going to actually act in a certain way. Anything else? What are you thinking? No. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. It's not true that 94% of people are against God at all. It's not true. Um, there's a whole stack of people out there who, uh, I mean, everybody, 100% of people reflect the image of God. Um, it's just that 94% of people say, I don't get this. I don't get why you'd want to be in these relationships. But it's also the case that it's easy to dilute what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And then you find yourself without the radical nature of Jesus' teaching and direction in your life. That's why we need one another. So it's not a judgment on the... I'm, actually, it's not a comment on the... You, you're right to say it, Hannah. It's not a comment on the grey. It's actually a comment about the red. <laughs> it's a comment about the red, not about the grey. One last one? Yeah. I just uh, uh, looking at the generous aspect there, I was thinking that this passage started with those who were scattered with the persecution that arose because of Saul, and it ends with Saul being introduced to that group of worshippers and being a key part. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's a good, a good point. The generosity towards Saul, who's invited back into that community to teach them, to actually enable them to walk. And you think, hmm, that's an interesting, it's an interesting call, isn't it? We're going to sing together. But first, as uh, those folks come. The, the, the leaflets, by the way, um, represent some of the work I do uh, with LICC because I spend much of my life thinking and talking about this sort of stuff. So this is pretty much my work. And um, I just thought they might be of interest to you. And perhaps the dots would remind you that actually you are a red dot. And we are red dots together. Let's stand and pray together. If you can, let's stand. Lord, for lots of us, we know what it felt like when we first met Jesus, really. Some of us were children and some of us were adults. But there was a moment where all the lights went on and it all made sense. And we committed our lives to you and we committed our way to you. And we asked that you'd not only save us, but you'd lead us and be our Lord. And some of us are still young, some of us are middle-aged, and we know how we need to keep coming back to that central truth of saying, Lord, I want to follow you. 
in the complexity of my own life, in the bits of my own life that are not as I would wish them to be, in the situations that are challenging, in the bits that bring huge joy, I want to follow Jesus. And Lord, together as a church and on behalf of a church, I'd want to pray that we would continue to grow as whole life disciples. That we'd help one another do that. The Lord, our love for you would overflow and we would see people differently. We'd be remarkably generous. I pray because of our love for you and because of the way you've treated us, that we would treat others with grace and mercy and love. Regardless of background, regardless of identity, that we would choose to be a people who would be different from one another but together so much stronger. And Lord, I pray that our love for you would overflow so that however we do it and whatever words we use, we'd be able to explain why all of this makes sense to us. I pray you'd put us in situations this week where we're given opportunity just to share about Jesus. I pray it'd flow out of who we are. Lord, may we help one another to be that sort of church, we pray. In the name of Jesus.